0: Hardy Childers, the man behind the blog Esoteric Columbia, was browsing online auctions last fall when he happened upon a strange relic from South Carolina's past. On his website, Childers likes to highlight the stranger and little-known parts of the once-famously-hot city's history. And for good reason. It may stem from a friendly competition with Charleston. I feel like there's lots of strange stories that have been compiled about Charleston and they're easy to find. Not so much about Columbia, Childers explains. But we have the petrified man, an 18th century blasphemous sex cult, a preserved body underneath a downtown church, witch trials that happened 100 years after Salem, etc. I find these things fascinating and want more people to know about them. That's why when Childers came across a mud-colored class manual from the South Carolina Criminal Justice Academy with Satanism printed across the cover, He knew he had found something special. With no competing bids, the book was his for ten dollars, plus shipping and handling. Plucked from the summer of 1987, the manual features the cramped handwriting of its original owner, alongside an illustrated glossary of demons and satanic imagery. The course was Introduction to Satanism. Hey everybody. Welcome to the final installment in the four-part series, The Devil You Know, A Modern History of Satanic Panic in South Carolina, written and recorded by me, Dustin Waters, special to the Charleston City Paper. Enjoy. Fear of Satanists had grown into a nationwide panic by the start of 1987. In the first few days of the new year, news began to spread that the South Carolina Criminal Justice Academy would join around half a dozen other states with formal seminars on policing satanic cults. While it is acknowledged that satanism was not illegal, police raised concerns about the possible link between satanic worship and criminal activity. At that time, authorities identified eight sites around the state where satanic ceremonies were suspected to have been held. They included Caesars Head State Park in Greenville County, as well as sites in Hanahan, Columbia, Charleston, Kershaw, Saluda, Cherokee, and Anderson Counties. According to interviews at the time with Paul Banner, the senior criminology instructor at the Criminal Justice Academy who led the course on Satanism, the class would run for eight hours and cost the state several thousand dollars to get it up and running. Banner claimed at the time to receive around 30 calls a week from law agencies asking to participate in the training, although they also admitted to not having had any real experience with Satanists. Banner also made it clear that he was aware of no evidence that Satanic cults in South Carolina were involved in child abuse or pornography. Other officers and news outlets were willing to move forward with the rumors regardless. We're seeing the coming together of some satanic worship with pedophiles across the nation," Paul Hammond, the State Academy's field and specialized training director, said in a January 1987 Greenville News article. On the heels of this report, an editor at the Gaffney Ledger wrote that cult activity was a definite thing in his county and the others mentioned by state police. Looking back at the panic that had gripped the area just before the Halloween of 1985, the paper cited several unidentified sources, some local officers who had privately confirmed devil worshipers had been operating in the area for at least the past two years. In March 1987, a Friday the 13th hoax resulted in a warning from Columbia police that a cult was out in force kidnapping children. Although unconfirmed, the message spread from police departments across the state, which then passed the news on to school principals and radio stations. The Columbia Police Department issued a retraction hours later, but the report was already widespread. Sled said at the time that they were aware of no evidence linked to cold abductions. Later that month, the body of a Columbia girl was found wrapped in a minister's robe. Inside the garage of the 23-year-old man charged in her murder, police found a similar robe, as well as what was described as a makeshift altar covered in animal blood, according to an April 18th, 1987 article, in the state newspaper that was included in the South Carolina Criminal Justice Academy's Manual on Satanism. Also featured in the class literature was a section describing the factors that contributed to the renewed interest in the occult. Listed out in the officer's notes, these include the death of rationalism, the chaos and complexity of our society, the retreat to a rational state, the prominence of the supernatural and occult in the media, a disbelief in the supernatural and modern theology, and the potential reality of the occult and Satanism. Illegal activities among Satanists, according to the class, included trespassing, vandalism and arson, animal mutilation, kidnapping, rape, child abuse, and murder. Officers were instructed to keep an open line of communication with animal control officers to help monitor any ritualistic sacrifices. The profile of uh, your average Satanist was an intelligent, creative, curious, underachieving man from a middle or upper-middle class family with low self-esteem, difficulty relating to peers, and feelings of alienation from their family's religion. Other signs of involvement included interest in fantasy role-playing games such as Dungeons & Dragons and heavy metal music. By way of a warning, the manual offered this conclusion to the course teachings, quote, people in law enforcement tend to disbelieve what they hear about occult activity Remember, it's not what you believe, but what those involved in Satanic worship believe. That year, all public safety officers at Clemson University had been trained in modern topics of concern such as AIDS, narcotics, and Satanism, according to the school's annual report from 1987 to 88. Meanwhile, the South Carolina Criminal Justice Academy's in-house class on Satanism, drew 74 students in its first year, while the seven classes offered by the Academy's field training program attracted 359 officers around the state. In late August, a group of 50 upstate officers would receive a lecture from Satanism course instructor Paul Banner, who had recently investigated the desecration of a church in Charleston earlier in the month. He found no evidence that the vandalism was part of a satanic ritual. Although Banner had started the year investigating a York County murder where literature on Satanism was found at the crime scene, he told the Greenville News that one of the men charged in the crime was simply a, quote, dabbler in Satanism, as was the case, he believed, for most of those involved in Satanic worship around the state. Banner's instructional tour reached the Charleston area in August 1988 when he met with a group of school counselors from Berkeley County ready to share his insight into the satanic community. Banner told the audience that not a day goes by that he doesn't receive a phone call about the malicious activities possibly linked to cults. But, he clarified, I'm not a crusader. I'm a crime fighter. By 1989, alleged satanic symbols were said to have been spray painted on any available surface along I-26. In June, Greenwood police consulted a quote, nationally recognized expert in Satanism regarding graffiti that had appeared around town, including skulls, possible satanic emblems, and the phrase, I would rather be the devil than go creep into the cross. This was all described by the expert as the work of punk rockers and dabblers in Satanism. In fact, the lengthy phrase included among the suspicious graffiti was a lyric from the song Creep Into the Cross, released by Northern Irish post-punk band That Petrol Emotion two years earlier. Despite the experts' dismissal of the messages as nothing serious, a photo of the aforementioned graffiti was prominently featured in a special section of Greenwood's Index Journal solely focused on the present threat of Satanists. Around that time, a Pickens County detective was lecturing local school counselors on Satanists. Having been instructed in a cult activity, the detective told the crowd that traditional Satanists are intelligent, well-organized, and secretive. They only perform rituals on holidays, may be marked with a tattoo on their left side, and most notably use breeders. Breeders, of course, are women who give birth to an infant for the sole purpose of being used. In a sacrifice. By September 1989, a Lexington County detective would find his way to Orangeburg to lead a seminar on Satanism, saying that occult activity is difficult to track because children born into satanic homes may be sexually abused, but court records may not specifically reference satanic activity. Almost two years later, this same detective was still on the instructional circuit, informing a McCormick crowd that Satanism is a statewide problem worse than drug addiction. Even in 1991, the detective still argued that Satanists were carrying out ritualistic torture, rape, bestiality, and sacrifices across South Carolina. By the early 90s, former Catholic priest-turned-tell-all novelist Malachi Martin revived the old claims that Charleston was the center of satanic activity around the world, As author Grady Hendricks explains, he had a whole thing where, during the 1963 enthronement of Pope Paul VI, he claimed it was, of course, the enthronement of a satanic pope. In his Works of Alleged Fact and Thinly Veiled Fiction, Martin wrote that a corresponding satanic ritual complete with a human sacrifice was held in Charleston as the ceremony was piped into the Vatican via speakerphone thus granting Satan control over the church, moving forward. So there it was, a century had passed since Leo Taxel convinced much of Europe that Charleston was the center of Satanic activity. Then, by the 1990s, another man claiming to have inside knowledge presents an international conspiracy with the devil at its core in the holy city. Today, in the age of Pizzagate, the deep state, in an endless network of QAnon conspiracies, it's hard to dismiss the wide appeal of a well-told lie backed up by a compelling villain. The main difference now is that your aunt can sign into Facebook and spread whatever unsubstantiated conspiracy happens to float across her feed. The idea of a global conspiracy that secretly runs the world is an old one and a really appealing one. Sort of the satanic panic version of that is that there is a satanic conspiracy running the world and we can't do anything about it. It's very appealing in the sense that you have no chance. Your life is where it is, not because of you, but because of forces outside of your control," says Grady Hendrix, who admits that he was once a big conspiracy buff before everyone lost their sense of humor. Quote, The people winning at life, the people who are doing well, the people with money, the people with power, they didn't earn that. That was given to them and it's because they belong to the right cult. Membership is key. Not class background, not social background, not racial background, not gender. It's your membership in this group. You were screwed before you were even born, and there's nothing you can do about it. So, the concept of a conspiracy theorist became universal. It's anyone with an internet connection or a smartphone. Everyone's connected and the world is too complicated to understand, so instead of doing all the hard work to make sense of things, here's a story with a clear narrative. Even if there isn't a good guy, they're sure as hell as a villain. It makes you feel good because look at the other people. They're a bunch of pedophiles and drug addicts and they eat human blood and they're disgusting and they have no souls. They're awful, says Hendrix. On the one hand, it's extremely comforting On the other, it's disempowering and weakening. You sort of saw that in the last election. This idea that, why vote? One side is as bad as the other. The election is going to be decided in smoky back rooms by the 1% or whoever. It's this real way to disempower yourself and feel comfortable with this disempowerment at the same time, or at least numb to it. So, what about the so-called bad guys? What about the Satanists? I decided to forward a copy of the Criminal Justice Academy's Manual on Satanism to the official Church of Satan to hear their response. What I received was a lengthy written statement from Magus Peter Gilmore, high priest of the Church of Satan. He writes, This sort of literature was common during the Satanic Panic when evangelical Christians as well as the media looking for shock value stories promoted the false idea that there were." satanic cults acting as a society-wide conspiracy to incite drug use, sacrifice or mutilate animals, and breed babies for ritual murder that were disposed of in portable crematoria. Quite insane when examined with a cool head. It's worth noting that the official Church of Satan does not worship the devil. They don't believe in any higher power, God, Satan, or otherwise, Instead, mainly focusing on personal responsibility, individualism, and a sort of self-worship. Magus Gilmore says he appeared on many talk shows during the years of the Satanic Panic. He acknowledges that, quote, "...some disturbed youths imitated what was portrayed in the media regarding Satanic activity, but these Giraldo Satanists, as he calls them, were separate from the actual Church's true beliefs and practices." Describing the Justice Academy Manual on Satanism as quote, hate literature masquerading as fact, Gilmore compares it to a 1486 book, The Hammer of the Witches, which was meant to serve the exact same purpose, he says, offering a means to interrogate and persecute thousands of Europeans. So while this type of material isn't new, it is an unfortunate trend that has recurred again and again, says Gilmore. It allows those in authority to persecute powerless people and enrich themselves in the process, cementing their belief system as the one maintaining power, and thus, truth. Our species is often quite appalling, isn't it? This concludes the four-part series, The Devil You Know, a modern history of satanic panic in South Carolina. This podcast series was researched, written, recorded by me, Dustin Waters, and I also handled the music. Scripts were edited by Sam Spence. Special thanks goes out to Scott Poole, Grady Hendricks, Hardy Childers, and Peter Gilmore for providing input and commentary for the series. Please check the February 6th edition of the Charleston City Paper for the print version of this story, or visit www.charlestoncitypaper.com for more. Again, thank you for listening.